Hey everyone, Abu here with a small editorial note. You are about to hear me mispronounce Amon as Amos like a dozen times. I have no idea where I got Amos from, but it was an honest mistake, and I just wanted to call it out here at the top of the show. Regardless of my mistake, we are still incredibly proud of this episode, and I think it's one of our best. So we hope you enjoy it, and thank you so much for listening. Today on the show, we're talking about Sarah Louise Kerrigan. Psychic Terran. Confederate Ghost. Second in command of the Sons of Korhal. Queen of Blades. Primal Queen of Blades. Zelnaga. The Breaker of Chains, the Queen of the Andals, and the First Men. Protector uh, of the Seven Ke- Kingdoms, Ke- the Mother Ke- of Kevin, Dragon. Kevin, 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 what? Kevin, Kevin. Yeah? Wrong universe. Oh. Oops. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of some of our favorite video games. My name's Abu. And I'm Kevin. And Kevin, we are headed back to the Caprulu sector to talk about one of the most iconic characters in the universe, Queen of Blades, Sarah Kerrigan. I love her. She's like, ugh, she's awesome. Yeah? Why do you love her? (sighs) She's just so badass, man. Like, she doesn't take shit from anybody. She is super, super, like, important to the entire story. Like, honestly, in my, yeah, in my view, <laughs> in my view, literally, you do not have a story without this woman. She is everything. And, and I love, and I hate to sound like that guy, but I love the romance between her and uh, Rainer. Like, they are both yeah. perfect. I think they are awesome together. Power couple all the way. They're my sci-fi power couple. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree with you on all points. There is no StarCraft. There is no story of StarCraft without Sarah Kerrigan. Not, o- not only is she one of the most iconic characters in this universe, I would go so far as to say that she's one of the most recognizable characters in all of gaming, right? Oh, like yeah. you oh, put definitely. a picture of the Queen of Blades up and people will know who she is and where she's from. I mean, she even made it into an office episode. Dwight showed up on Halloween as her. <laughs> I, I mean, that's when it's you a, know. she's a big deal. She penetrated mainstream pop culture. That's when you know. Yep. So let's get into it. I, I think today's episode is going to be really, really interesting because as we were prepping, we knew we were going to do a Kerrigan episode, right? Oh, definitely. Last, oh, yeah. The last episode that we did was all about James Rayner and Arcturus Mengsk, who are the second and third most important characters in the story. But we were saving Kerrigan because we wanted to give her an entire episode to herself. And that's what today's all about. And I think as we were discussing this episode and coming up with some ideas and topics for discussion, the thing that we landed on, and you're the one that brought this up, was the fact that Kerrigan's life has been defined by two things, revenge and destiny. I would say let's start from the beginning then. I mean, if we're going to talk about her entire life, we might as well do it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take her life chronologically from the very beginning. And I think what will be interesting for us in this discussion is if we pause along each chapter of her life and sort of share our our thoughts on how much control we think she had in that chapter of her life and how much revenge was a motivator for her. Because I think we'll be surprised how often those two themes come up over and over and over again. 
We're going to be briefly going through a lot of the major story beats in Kerrigan's life, but the assumption here, obviously, is that you, the listener, already have played the games, know who Kerrigan is, and know some of the important bits. We are going to be spoiling everything and anything about Kerrigan, who's the most important person in the story. So we're going to be spoiling this story. And if you haven't played the game, go play it. What are you doing? (laughs) Go play it. You're You're like a decade behind. So let me start at the beginning of Kerrigan's life. As a young child, the earliest story we know about Kerrigan is that she realized her incredible psionic abilities, her incredible psychic powers, when she accidentally murdered her mom and gave her dad permanent brain damage. That is one hell of a way to find out that you are special and that you have special powers. Right off the bat, it's dark. Right off the bat, it's dark. And really... It does not go uphill from here. So once the Confederacy finds out that this child is gifted, that she has powers, she is conscripted into the ghost program where she enters training to harness these powers and to become a weapon for the Confederacy, which we ultimately know she does become. Now, before she officially becomes a ghost, there's a little bit of rebelliousness, right? She does not want to work for the Confederacy. And during her training, there are multiple instances where she refuses to use her powers even though her superiors try to coerce her. There's this early story where uh, one of her caretakers tries to get her to use her powers to save the life of a puppy that he is injected with a deadly tumor. It's her job to save this puppy's life. And remember, she's still a child. She's a young child, a young teenager at this point. And her superior officer tells her to save this puppy who's dying in front of her because he's injected her with a tumor, and the only way she can save it is to use her powers, and she refuses. That's how strong-willed Kerrigan was, even at that young age. She reminds me a lot of, and I think she's kind of, I think this character is based off of Kerrigan to a degree, uh, Eleven from Stranger Things. She reminds me a lot about Kerrigan. I mean, Super strong-willed and just, I mean, that's the thing. She's a kid and she just wants to be a kid. She's like forced into this military. She's forced to use these powers that she has no idea how to use, mind you. She's not, I mean, she uses them, but she doesn't really understand them. She's still a child. She's like, what, eight years old, something like that? Um, Yeah, yeah, very young. And so... Literally, they took her, they took her from her mother's funeral, like her, like the whole thing, like they snatched her right there, which is even, I mean, whoa, this, she's already had a traumatic, yeah, I I can't think of any other thing to say, just like, whoa, like you just snatched this kid up who accidentally used these psychic abilities that killed their parents, basically, and. Right, and now you're asking her to use them more, and I, I think if we go back to our themes here of choice and revenge and control and free will so far even this early in kerrigan's life she is not making choices oh no the confederacy is making choices for her she is conscripted into this program that she did not willingly agree to join she is told to use her powers against her will the only choice that she really has here and the only sense of control is refusing right she can refuse to save this puppy's life Later on, that same superior officer threatens her father's life, and she refuses again, and she threatens to kill both her father and herself. So that's the only control she has, even this early on in her life. She's already completely lost control over her life, and she tries to 
obtain it wherever she can in whatever small rebellious way she can. And if you think about it, the only choices she has that she is willing to make are choices that ultimately hurt her even more in the end. So she's only given a choice for herself of hurt myself more, emotionally, right. physically, whatever. And that's, I mean, that, again, whoa, that's, that's, it's dark, man. This is, she's, she's got a dark life. Yeah, it's, it's going to get darker. So moving, moving on, eventually the superior officer realizes he has no choice. He can't get her to use her powers willingly. So he does what the Confederacy does best. He installs a neural inhibitor in her brain, which again, takes away even more control from Kerrigan and makes her, turns her essentially into a docile soldier for the Confederacy, a ghost. She is unable to turn down any direct command from a commanding officer. So she goes on to essentially do whatever assassination missions and whatever orders she's given from the Confederacy, she carries them out. And the sort of neurological control is a big aspect of this world. And it's used on Kerrigan so young and so early in her life. Well, if you think about it, all these characters, ultimately, the whole concept of this game is destiny. Like, there's a whole, there's a whole trope of, like, overarching storylines that have, like, some overall destiny involved and some overall, like, prophecy or something like that along those lines. And so I think it adds to the free will aspect of the whole thing of do you really have free will? Do your decisions really lead you to where you want to be or is it where you're supposed to be or are they the same? Stuff like that. So I think that's really interesting to have all these main characters somehow have someone or something controlling them ultimately almost their entire lives. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it could be argued that to some extent, Jimmy maybe had a choice, right? Like his parents offered him the choice of continue to live with us on our farm and just continue to be a poor farmer or join the military. I mean, but, you know, that was sort of like poor? a lesser of two evils. Like, I, I don't really want to choose to be poor. That's, to me, that's a little exactly, bit. Exactly, yeah. It, it's, it's sort of a non-choice. You're right. I think all of this theme of like loss of control, circumstances forcing your hand continues to happen over and over again to our characters. And so, I mean, it also shows like how they, even how they meet sometimes too. I mean, so she was originally captured by Arcturus Manx during like a raid on a research facility. And right. she decided I will say, I think this is more of a decision thing. She decided to join the Sons of Korhal. Yes, I think this is actually super important. This is probably the first real choice yeah, she's ever had in her life. It's the first decision that she got to make for herself. And to her, if you think about it, it's almost as if she made the first real decision to be able to make decisions again. Because yes, yes. She, she got her neural inhibitor taken out. Like, they removed it for her. And by joining the Sons of Core Hall, that decision created, okay, now you can get this removed. Look at that. Now you are able to refuse orders and have free will again to not have to be told what to do. You're second in command. I mean, that's, that, like, that's the whole thing. Like, it opened up doors for her. It was the first real decision 
she was able to make, and it was able to create more decisions for her. However, <laughs> it always a always a catch. It did cause a um, a domino effect. We'll say that. Right. So l- let's talk about that moment. Actually, becoming the queen of plays, because that because that's another huge pivotal chapter in Kerrigan's life. It is the chapter in Kerrigan's life. It, it sets her on this course for the rest of her life. I remember when I was playing that the first time, it was such an impact to me. I did not expect it at all. Like, she gets betrayed by Minx during the attack on Tarsonis, and she's literally swarmed by Zerg. She's left on a planet, basically, alone, and they're going to glass the planet. And Manx is like, well, see you later, and just leaves her there and... You hear Jim on the radio being like, what the hell, freaking out, you know, because he's in love with her. And it's she's just like, "Okay, I'm going to die. And the video that they do make in Starcraft 2, the cutscene is tremendously amazing. Oh, one of my favorites. Belay that order. It is. It's so good to watch her just accept her fate and just say, all right, I'm going to die. But she doesn't. She doesn't die. And that's she the doesn't. big, that's it. And and I just want to also say this. Jim's relationship, I was replaying StarCraft 1. Jim's relationship with Kerrigan off from the beginning is just tremendously hilarious. Um, my little tidbit on this is he, uh, the first time they meet, he goes, hi, I'm Jim. And she goes, that's disgusting. And he goes, what? And he goes, oh, that's right. You can read minds. It is hilarious. That just right off the bat, they are power couple (laughs) yeah but unfortunately not destined to be because of the choices that are made for kerrigan i mean she made the choice to join the sons of korha right Mm -hmm. but she did not make the choice to be left on tarsonis and be swarmed by the zerg that was a huge choice made for her by arcturus mengsk and this changes the course of her life And, and another choice immediately following this moment is what the overmind does the Overmind could have just simply consumed her or turned her into another mindless husk to join the Zerg and continue her, this battle. But the Overmind recognizes her intelligence, recognizes her incredible psionic powers, and transforms her into the Queen of Blades, into a semi-autonomous, semi-independent Zerg. I mean, she still has to follow the Zerg directive, and you could argue that Sarah Kerrigan, the human, the Terran, is no longer present. It's the Queen of Blades version of Sarah Kerrigan. It's ultimately, it is the exact same version of her when she was a Terran ghost under Confederate rule, except now it's the Zerg version. Exactly. Oh, I love that. I, I hadn't even thought of that. Because it's the same Damn, thing. Kevin, she has, so she has yeah. instead of a neural inhibitor of like some bullshit man-made neural inhibitor, now she has a genetic neural inhibitor that's a weird that's a weird word neural inhibitor in (laughs) her brain like it's genetically now there and guess what is controlling her it's the essential being that controls the entire race of the zerg the government of the zerg if you will and it is (laughs) controlling all zerg including her right so we continue to see this theme of loss of control. She has two major decisions made for her. One, to be left on Tarsonas. Two, to be turned into the Queen of Blades. And then ultimately she comes out of that 
still not having full control over her life. <laughs> she is still under the influence of something. She is still following a directive. She is still following orders from a superior, whether it's the Overmind, whether it's Amos, the Zelnaga, just through her genetics. She is still unable to, what we would think of, have total autonomy and total free will. Even as the Queen of Blades, even as one of the most powerful beings in the galaxy, she has to follow orders. That is just so tragic. <laughs> it's terrible. It's, it's super sad. I mean, if anything, it's also an example of how women are also treated in society in general. I mean, for a very long time, women could not make most decisions for themselves. They couldn't vote. They couldn't do a lot of other shit. And men were in charge and they did everything. And women were just supposed to be a subservient wife and stupid shit like that. And if anything, she is almost an embodiment of this kind of thing and uh, of, of these societal aspects. And so overcoming them and trying to, you know, be an independent, powerful woman to who can make her own decisions and, and, and be a leader. I mean, we're getting real into it now, but that's that is yeah. that is her. Yeah, I mean, no, she's spot on. She's spot yo, on. she's a hero of mine. I mean, I know she's a villain for a while in the story, but that's not even her decision to be the villain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? Like that's the thing. It's not her decision. It's never I been feel her like decision. If Sarah Kerrigan had been given full control over her life and her destiny, she would have taken many, many different life paths. Oh yeah. Oh. And yeah. I think a much better life path. I, th I think at her core. I don't even think. I know for a fact. At her core, Sarah Kerrigan is a good person. Oh yeah. But just um, like so far, we we're we're about like halfway through her life so far, and we've already talked about so much pain, so much suffering, so much death, and so much lack of control. Like that's gonna that's gonna fuck up a person. Oh yeah. It fucks her up in terms of sure she gets a little bit um, depressed and a little bit upset, but like throughout the whole thing, she not only is a strong individual in terms of like for instance telling that superior officer to go shove it up his ass but she also is still she doesn't lose like any sort of morality or anything like that she still stays to being a good person yeah and, and the intelligence right so like if we talk about if we move on to like the next chapter of her being the queen of blades she fucks everyone up <laughs> even oh, though she's following yeah. a directive, even though she's technically still subservient to the Zerg overmind and has to do what she's told to a certain extent, she plays her angles. Like, she's out here playing 40 chess. The UED shows up. She's playing the Protoss. She's playing Raynor. She's, you know, she wants to murder and kill Mengsk, primarily at this stage because it's her directive. It's not so much about revenge quite yet. It will be later on, and we'll talk about that. But right now, it's primarily like her Zerg directive is to wipe out the Terran and the Protoss. So that's what she wants to do. But she's smart about it. She's working. She's working her angles. She's she's playing the game out here. Uh, she's she'll at one point partner with Rainer, or she'll spare Mengsk, or she'll help somebody over here just to work her way up. Uh, she's cutting deals with with uh, the the Protoss to take down the Overmind. Like she has a plan. And she's she going to execute is, it, motherfucker. <laughs> dude, she is literally playing chess. That's what she's doing. She has all the players and all the pieces ready to go. She knows what she's going to do. And she only spares people to get ahead. She, as long as there's something to be gained for her, she knows that she'll, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll spare you. I mean, like you said, she plays Jim. That's the one thing that I always thought kind of sucked was 
She knows he's still in love with her and she uses it. And it's, again, she's not a villain on purpose or anything like that. Like she has this directive, even if the Overmind is not necessarily aware or of, of it or is controlling her to a degree, she has a Zerg directive that's stuck in her head. And right. so it's it's almost like it's 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 making decisions for her and it's kind of annoying, but she yeah. uses- No, I agree. I, I, don't th- I don't think we can call her a, a pure villain at this point in her life. Like she- I don't know if she even really remembers her love for Raynor or Raynor's love for her during this part of her life when she's the queen of blades and she's out here playing chess, you know? She's she's only out here to further the Zerg cause. She's just space Manchurian candidate. That's all she is at this point. Yeah. She's like Bucky Barnes, except instead of just getting your cool arm, you got a whole cool slew of powers and horde and all this other cool stuff, but- that's all she is. She is the space Manchurian candidate. Right. Well, she ultimately ends up winning. She takes down the Overmind. She takes over a vast majority of the Zerg and essentially asserts her dominance and becomes the true queen of blades, the queen of the Zerg, the leader of the Zerg. And then at that point, she decides to collect her resources. And for there's a, there's a pretty large gap here between StarCraft 1 and 2. I think it's like four years. Yeah. She sort of goes into hibernation while she prepares and she builds up the Zerg and assimilates other creatures and builds up her armies in preparation for her ultimate goal of victory, essentially, over the Terran and Protoss. So she retreats for four years, and during those four years is where we get StarCraft II and where the Zelnaga and the Zelnaga artifacts come into play, and this is where the next transformation in Kerrigan's life happens. Again, not by her choice, but she gets a little bit of her humanity back in StarCraft II. Yes and no. Here's where I will talk about it. Because here's the thing. StarCraft II, look, I know there was a lot of problems with StarCraft II. I'm with you guys. I know. <laughs> I just really like playing the damn campaign, okay? It, it, it's enjoyable. I don't know. It's fun. It's catchy. I enjoyed it. There's all these really cool things to do. But here's the thing about Kerrigan. Even though she is now Queen of Blades, there's no Overmind, she still has that directive. So even though she's in charge, there's still that little piece telling her what to do. So in Wings of Liberty, Raynor learns of a prophecy. Oh, shit, prophecy. You know about prophecy, it means that you don't have any freaking decisions. Um, there's There's this outcome that's predetermined. Exactly. This is destined to be, and you don't have a choice. Another yeah. choice taken away from our girl, Sarah Kerrigan. So Zeratul tells Jim about how Kerrigan is the key to stopping hybrids and Amon and all this other crazy shit that's going to start going down. And Jim's like, what the hell are you talking about? And during, during StarCraft II, uh, Le- uh, Wings of Liberty, um, they find a Zelnaga artifact. The Terrans find one. And uh, it's on Char. Uh, Char or Char, 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 whatever. Charmander, I don't know. And (laughs) yeah, and she is interested in it. And so she kind of awakens, if you will. And and so basically the whole point of this artifact is that it can purge Zerg DNA. Right, so the prevailing theory here 
for the Terrans is if they construct this artifact, if they get all the pieces, put it together, and activate it on the Zerg planet of Char, where Kerrigan is, they can purge the Zerg. And for Jimmy, his goal is maybe turn her back into human? Question mark? I don't say that as a question. I would say that as a statement. The man wants to save his woman. Yeah, that's true. Not necessarily, and I don't want to say that she needs saving because then that means that she is still has to deal with a man trying to save her and damsel in distress, blah, 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 yeah. stupid shit again. But it, it's not really that she needs saving. It's that that's what Jimmy wants. He, he, wants, he wants his the, the woman that he loves back because she is, has been turned into this Zerg, into this monster. And for him, the thing that he wants most is to turn her back, to turn the clock back and go back to the Sarah Kerrigan that he fell in love with, and that he still loves to this day. So ultimately, we get some pretty cool cutscenes of her fighting Zeratul and some other cool shit, and then at the end... Yeah, and really fast-forwarding through a lot of this. <laughs> I know, I know. I, it, it, no, I no, mean, that's really, good, that's good. Starcraft our listeners know. Our, our listeners already know this shit. They know what's going on. <laughs> Wings of Liberty is, is dope, it's fun, but ultimately, the only thing we care about here is it worked. Jim gets the artifact, he uses it, he charges that baby up on a crazy long freaking mission to play, and then he, <laughs> God, is it, if you play it on Brutal, it's like, what the hell? Um, but he uses it, and boom, she's back to being human. I, I also think maybe mentally and somewhat emotionally, it also brought her hu- humanity back. Yes. Because at this point, once the Zelnaga artifact is activated, and we're supposed to assume that she's human again, she starts to remember her past life as Sarah Kerrigan. She remembers Jimmy. She remembers their relationship. And it's at this point that she remembers that motherfucker Arcturus Mengsk and what he did to her. And this is where revenge becomes a huge part of her life. It is her number one driving factor. Sure, I love you, Jim, but you know what? I'm going to leave because I got to kill this dumbass. Like, that's the whole thing. That's what she is in the entire wing, uh, Heart of the Swarm campaign is she admits that she still loves Jim. She's like, yeah, I still want to be with you. I still want to, you know, be us, but no. Yeah, yeah. In a roundabout way, the love story has come back. Your, your power couple is starting to talk again, and I think she's no longer the Queen of Blades who is only out here playing 4D chess and trying to get the upper hand on everyone else. I think she is now sarah kerrigan slash the queen of blades where she has some sort of human emotional connection still and those motivate her her revenge against arcturus mengsk and her love for jimmy rayner like she later in the game she goes out of her way to save jimmy right oh she, yeah like, saves his life and, and uh, the zerg don't and like it. It, it right and she goes against the zerg like this is no longer a a zerg directive this is not necessarily something that will give her the upper hand this is an emotional decision because she loves Jimmy and it, this is what she wants. So I think that part of her humanity, the part where the emotional part is back. She is no longer just this queen of blades with a mission. She is now a person who is still part Zerg with wants and needs and desires. Here is where I'm going to add to that because I feel as if the decision to here's an here is a decision here is another one of those decisions that she gets to make for herself the rare few that she gets in her life yeah so zeratul kind of talks to her and is like hey i know you want to kill manx 
I hate him too. But you know what else would be really cool is if you went back to the Zerg. And it's like, hey. it's it's almost, it's not necessarily that she, he makes the decision for her. He just informs her. And that is what I or think. Very persuasively informs yeah, her. Yeah, yeah he's got a motivation too. But, but I think the fact that she says, you know what? I am now that I have my freedom, I'm going to use this freedom to go kill Mix. I'm going to use my revenge as a method to to pursue more power. Right. And the interesting thing to point out here is that she doesn't she hears the prophecy, mm-hmm. right? But she doesn't necessarily believe in it, which to be fair, her in her shoes, I wouldn't either. If someone was like Hey man, I read this thing, this prophecy. Don't worry about it, but like you're gonna save the universe. I would kind of be like, okay. She's just like, cool story, bro. Uh, where's the Zerg at? Point me in that direction. And so right, yeah, I right. mean, then she decides to go to the Zerg, and they're kind, they're the ones that still are not running amok, uh, if you will. Right, the primal Zerg. And yeah. the important thing is that the, like these Zerg are the ones that are disconnected from Amos and the Zelnaga influence. Yeah, and. So when she, throughout the game, you know, she's, she's turning more and more Zerg. She's adding more and more Zerg DNA. And she becomes the primal queen of blades. And yeah. so she the is still, ultimate form. She, she is a badass. It's not her final form. Not just yet. Um, not yet. But she, she becomes a Zerg, but also has autonomy. Yes. She has the power of the Queen of Blades, the humanity of Sarah Kerrigan, with no directives this time. No influence from Amos, no neural inhibitor. This is probably the most free she's ever been in her life. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Lore Party listeners, this is Lawrence one of the producers here on the show. I'm dropping in to talk about some of the amazing content that the team has developed and that you're obviously aware of seeing as you've made it this far into this amazing episode. I would encourage you to scroll through the rest of the feed and check out some of our spinoff podcasts as well. Our episodes are easy to follow and may even inspire your next video game purchase, which is why I'm pretty much addicted to Stardew Valley. Anyways, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and chat with us on social. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. So in most story forms um, and, and just forms of literature, the concept of revenge, that's something that we kind of try to strive not to do um if you look at like there's some stuff on like the psychology of revenge because reve- what is revenge revenge is you want to cause harm or just um enact some sort of justice that you seem to feel is sufficient um, but it has something to do in like a negative form like it's it's a form of justice that is very heavy in a negative aspect and way and right. so Re- revenge always has like a bad connotation like it, yeah. it's it's a warning. It, it, the stories about revenge are warnings. Don't seek revenge. It leads to harm. It leads to dark places. Nothing good can come from it. Exactly. Nothing, you know, and so in StarCraft, when it comes to revenge, 
it doesn't really it does the usual tropes for these characters and stuff leading up to the moment of this it doesn't really follow that formula and so when she busts through that door and he's just like oh what are you gonna kill me kind of thing he's because he's got like a bomb he's trying to like do all this stuff she's like yeah and she doesn't really like yeah it's so like easy because you because th- even Manx is kind of like in his head like you're not gonna do it like you know you're too good like everybody's too you guys are all too good to do this shit and it's like no we're 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 gonna do it and she just straight yeah, up just that arrogance boom. she just gets him man and the crazy and I love that I can just hear the joy in your voice at the thought of Arturus Manx getting murdered oh I fuck because I have a bit of a to be totally frank I have a bit of a soft spot for him. And you can hear about that in the last episode because we really dive into Mengsk in the previous episode. But I have a tiny bit of a soft spot for him, but ultimately, yes. Like, we're on the same page. Arturus Mengsk deserved to die. And Kerrigan, honestly, deserved to get her revenge. She earned it. She worked for it. And she has gone through enough pain and suffering to have earned this. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. A lot of people would used to say, I remember during StarCraft one and like brood war and stuff they were like oh jim's gonna kill manx he's gonna get the revenge for her and i'm like no why let's just let her do it like it's her revenge to have and so when she ultimately does it i kind of did a little bit of like a yeah like you know i was like super, <laughs> i was super happy about it um but uh so yeah so the cra- here's the crazy thing though so she kills him right and here's the, here, here you're just gonna you're gonna be like wait what i mean everything got better isn't that crazy? Everything got better. Um, right. There's no warning against revenge here. It's just, she got it, and things got better. As soon as she does it, like, the Zerg basically just stop attacking. They're like, okay, we're done. And, and, and even Jim, he's like, call off everybody. Done. And, and the whole war just, with the Dominion, just ends. Right. And the one caveat here that we should point out is this upcoming chapter of Kerrigan's life the looming threat of Amon and the end of the universe is sort of hanging over everyone's that head. too. Yeah, that could happen. So, you know, like, maybe fighting over, like, a seat of power and taking over the Dominion, that seems like sort of small stakes when the galaxy is about to end and there's a huge threat attacking the galaxy. So I think that was also a huge factor. Like, Valerian, Raynor, the Protoss, and... Kerrigan, like they all realize that their petty squabbles have been manufactured by this big bad Amos, that they are just playing into that this guy's hands and they have to stop him or it's over for everyone. No one will win. And this is where the team up happens, right? Like everyone is all in. The Zerg, the Protoss, the Terran all decide that it's time to go fuck up Amon. This is Kerrigan's third and ultimately final decision. Oh, to, I would I would say this is the fourth, fourth, fourth decision, fourth decision. The third decision is killing Manx. Yes, killing Manx, and then the fourth decision, right, that she makes in her life that, again, changes the entire course of the galaxy, is to go and kill Amon and destroy him once and for all, to destroy this threat to the galaxy. And this is, I mean, this is kind of epic. Like, everyone is here, everyone's teaming up, all of our favorites, all of our main characters— all the races have come together to destroy the ultimate threat to the galaxy. And this 
is where Kerrigan makes her final transformation, the final chapter of her life. When she becomes a Zelnaga, I didn't expect that. I just expected yeah. the whole thing of her, like, you, she was the one who you would, you know, would unite everyone. I didn't expect her to become a literal interdimensional, like, equivalent to a god. <laughs> she, it's like one shot kill. Like, she barely has, I remember playing that mission being like, I don't really have to do anything. Because she just takes everything out. And it's the culmination of everything in her life, right? It's the culmination of her psionic powers, her ghost training, becoming the Queen of Blades, becoming the primal Queen of Blades, absorbing the Zelnaga power. All of that power is coming together. Like, of course she's going to totally fuck up Amon's day. There is one more thing that she does get to do as a decision. And I think it is a really good decision. And as it's so crazy, because as a literal, basically a god, she makes a godly decision. Yeah, yeah. And this really comes full circle. It like really puts her life in perspective. So when she decides, when she becomes a Zeldnaga and she's like destroyed Amon and all that, Amon and all that stuff, she gives the Zerg free will. She tell she gives the all the brood mothers free will for their swarms, and essentially just kind of Amazing. gives. She gives the Zerg freedom of choice, and some Zerg don't like it. I mean, uh, what's his name? Oh, what the hell's that guy's name? Abather, that motherfucker, that <laughs> freaky. I mean, Doctor Mangla Zerg. He doesn't like it, of course, but. Um, Man, a, what a couple, couple of other Zerg kind of put him in his place. They kind of uh, beat him up and kind of yeah. put him yeah, back I mean, Zagara, in his place. Zagara is left in charge as sort of like the queen mother of the Zerg. But ultimately, all the brood mothers have free will. Zagara has free will to direct the Zerg in whatever path forward she chooses is best. They no longer have this genetic inherit directive to wipe out all other life in the galaxy. They can choose how to live. If you think about it, she's essentially the Zerg. She's the new Zerg god. She gave Zerg free will. And I mean, some of them are in her own image and blah, blah, blah. That's what she, she really became the god of the Zerg. Yeah. And I think it's such a perfect bow tie on Kerrigan's life, right? Like if we zoom out a little bit and to wrap up the episode, I just want to take a look at her life big picture. Kerrigan for almost the entirety of her life, from the moment her psionic abilities were first realized, has basically never had control over her destiny, has never had the ability to choose where her life is headed, except for one or two sort of fulcrum points that we've pointed out. The Zerg also are this race who were given this genetic directive by the Zelnaga, by Amon, to follow out orders, to do what they were built and created to do, and for their entire existence have not had any control. And at the end, when Kerrigan finally ascends into sort of semi-godhood, she gives the Zerg the very thing that she never had her entire life, and that's free will, the freedom to choose, the ability to decide on their destiny. And I think that's just such a beautiful way to wrap up Kerrigan's story. It really does come full circle. Well, that about wraps it up. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please make the choice to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It really helps us grow this show. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. You can learn more about all of our shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.